Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. I've got a, a really special place in my heart uh, for TV shows and movies and even books that tell stories of espionage, right? Spy stuff, top secret stories, whether they're true stories or entirely made up. I just really love the covert aspect of things, right? Especially when the stakes are super high, like world security. But probably the most compelling thing about this stuff is that they tell the untold stories, right? The behind the scenes stuff that is happening that threatens the livelihood of entire people groups, of of countries, and of ways of life without the general population necessarily knowing what's happening like national threats, general danger, all of these conspiring forces that are going on in the world that are fought and defeated in the shadows while you and I go on about our days sipping lattes and not knowing anything different. I mean, sure, we know that stuff is going on in the world. Now more than ever with the speed at which information travels, but the details are still thinly veiled and easy to ignore if we'd like to. There's an entire covert arm of the US military that just does stuff that we don't know anything about. Attempting to thwart attempts to harm the world. There are layers and layers of security on your phone and on your computer that protect you and keep you safe from cyber attacks. Even more layers of protection around all of the databases and the interwoven infrastructure of our country. And the thing is, when they do their job correctly, you don't even know they exist, right? I say all of this because often the ones that mean us harm are acting without us even knowing the details. They are truly nameless and faceless forces that betray our core desire for safety and security. And they do so completely undetected. We may have a sense that there's some danger or that something just ain't right in the world. But we don't have the real details or all the details in sight about who is trying to harm us and what is really going on. We just place our hope in those that are charged with protecting us. So this is the final sermon in our series, In the Wilderness. And today we're going to look at this very type of situation. We've been looking at the the different ways that humans betray 
their leader, Moses, uh, throughout the book of Numbers, all the ways that humans betray us as modern-day Americans. And we've looked at how God's faithfulness allows human beings to heal from it. So we've looked at how God promised to bless all humans and to bring them this reconciling type of peace called shalom. And then we looked at how that shalom was achieved in the face of family betrayal, the betrayal of close friends, the betrayal of an entire community, and even self-betrayal. Throughout the entire wilderness journey of the Israelites, where they were led out of slavery in Egypt and up to the edge of the promised land by their leader Moses, we see a community that is apt to this type of behavior. But we also see that God is unwilling to abandon them. God continues to stay in their midst and work to bring shalom, peace, to those whom he loves. So today we're going to look at one of the final stories in the book of Numbers, which is going to close out this series on human betrayal. And so what has happened since last week when Moses betrayed himself is that the Israelites have moved closer and closer to their destination, the promised land. And the closer they get to the promised land, the more interaction that they are having with other nations. See, Israel finds themselves in the middle of some international conflict. And they defeat the army of a king named Sion of the Amorites. Now, the Amorites had previously just fought and won a pretty big battle against another king in their region, a king named Balak of the Moabites. And so that's kind of the setup. And so we're going to pick up reading at Numbers chapter 22, right here at verse 1. It says, so the Israelites set out, and they camped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. So the Israelites are so, so close to their destination. The Jordan River is the boundary line of the land of Canaan. They are just on the other side of where they are headed. And Jericho is actually the first city that they capture when they enter into the promised land. So they're super close, but they're camping in the plains of this uh, country called Moab. Because remember, God said that they can't go into the promised land just yet. And so let's move on. Picking up in verse 2. It says, Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were so numerous. Moab was overcome with the fear of the people of Israel. And, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Now Balak, some son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor at Pethor, which is on the Euphrates in the land of Ammon, to summon him saying, a people has come out of Egypt and they have spread over the face of the earth and they have settled next to me. Come now, curse this people for me since they are stronger than I. 
Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that whomever you bless is blessed, and whomever you curse is cursed. So the king of Moab is scared of Israel, right? He's he's heard that they defeated the Amorites, and using simple human logic, he realizes if these people beat the Amorites, and the Amorites beat me, then these people can also beat me. And I can't have that camping out right outside of my home. And so he sends for this strange character, a prophet or a sorcerer, some kind of mercenary named Balaam. And he's apparently some kind of covert agent that can call on divine power to bless or to curse people. And so this is what happens. So so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hands. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. He said to them, you know, stay here tonight and I'll bring back word to you, just as the Lord speaks to me. And so the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. But God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, well, King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, has sent me this message. A people has come up out of Egypt and spread over the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me, and perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. But God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so Balaam rose in the morning and said to the officials of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the officials of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. So basically, Balaam's like, stay here, guys. I got to go talk to God before I take this gig. That's a wise thing to do, right, when someone offers you a job? And God comes to Balaam and is like, absolutely not. You cannot go with these men and do this. These are my people. I blessed them. And so Balaam sends the men away. And what happens next is that Balak doesn't want to take no for an answer. And so he sends even more men to Balaam in order to convince him to take the job. So this is what Balaam says to them, picking up in verse 19. It says, you remain here as the others did so that I might learn what more the Lord has to say to me. That night, God came to Balaam and said to him, if the men have come to summon you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you. And so Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. And so Balaam saddles up his donkey He goes with the men, and there's this super wild interaction between Balaam, God, and Balaam's donkey, in which the angel of the Lord, which is the presence of God, stands in the way of Balaam's progress to his destination. But only the donkey can see what's really going on until God opens Balaam's eyes to the presence of the angel of the Lord. Oh, and the donkey talks. And we don't have time to get into that today, but, you know, God works in strange ways, and even a donkey gets it right sometimes, all right? 
But the important thing is that both the angel of the Lord and the donkey, the talking donkey, are acting as agents of God in order to remind Balaam of God's warning not to curse the people of Israel. And so this is what happens next. This is picking up in verse 34. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, therefore, if it is displeasing to you, I will return home. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. And so Balaam went on with the officials of Balak. And so Balak goes and he comes to meet uh, with Balaam and orders him to curse the Israelites. But Balaam warns him like, hey, just so you know, like disclaimer, I'm going to do the job, but I might not do it right because I can only do what God allows me to do. I'm only able to speak the words that God puts into my mouth. And Balak says, well, that's, that's fair enough. And so he brings him around to high places where he can see the entire congregation of Israel. And three times he orders Balaam to curse the Israelites. And three times when Balaam opens his mouth, he instead blesses the Israelites. And each time the king of Moab is a little bit more enraged. And it all culminates here in chapter 24, verse 10. It says, Then Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but instead you have blessed them these three times. Now be off with you. Go home. I said, I will reward you richly, but the Lord has denied you any reward. Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that is what I will say. So now I am going to my people. Let me advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. Balaam gives a fourth oracle that uh, just prophesies the destruction of Moab by Israel. Balaam's like, hey, it doesn't matter how much power you attempt to offer or hold over my head. God gets what God wants. This is not what the king was hoping for, right? <laughs> but the reality is that this entire story shows us a truth about God's relationship to his people. Have you noticed that in this entire story, who's not playing an active role? Israel. Like, they're there. You know they're around, but the story centers on the activity of Balak and Balaam and God and the donkey, right? There's this 
conspiracy going on against Israel, this, this conspiring force that is intent on destroying Israel, and they have no idea that it's happening. But God is actively at work in the background, making sure that Israel is safe from this threat, and not just safe from this threat, but blessed in the midst of it. And that's surprising to people who have read through the story thus far because Israel, well, they really haven't done anything to deserve this type of treatment. Yet God has made a promise to them and to their descendants to bless them and to be gracious to them, even when they don't know that it's happening. And this isn't a reality that ends with Israel. This is the reality of God's relationship to us as well. Because it can often feel like there's something going on that we aren't fully aware of. Sometimes it just feels like the world is conspiring against us. Or worse, that the enemy is causing everything to fall apart in our world, right? We're struck with hardship that we don't see coming, financial trouble, illnesses, loss, pain, interpersonal conflicts. And it seems to always come in waves. We can't see or explain what is going on, but we just know that something isn't right about this. And listen, sometimes all of that stuff is happening as just a consequence of living in a broken world on the near side of eternity, right? Just like the Israelites were camped out in the plains of Moab, just across the river from the promised land of blessing, we too are in a bit of that place ourselves as well. We're, We're so close to the fullness of the kingdom of God but we still live in a troubled land until the day that Christ returns. And while the Israelites were lucky not to feel the weight of the curse that Balak wanted Balaam to pronounce upon them, they faced their fair share of hardship in life. But what this story of Balaam shows us is that in the background, beyond all the noise, God was still blessing them. God was still watching out for them. God was still making a way for them to live in and experience peace. You know, human suffering is really one of the hardest things for us to reckon with as people who believe in the God that we believe in. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Roman Christians, wrote these words. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we know, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 
What Paul wants us to know is that even when it seems like all of this terrible stuff is happening to us, that God has a way of blessing us through it. Paul isn't saying that God does bad stuff to us. But what he's saying is that God is above the bad stuff. God can use the bad stuff. That God does use the bad stuff. And that God is actively working in covert ways to subvert the effects of evil, to turn it on its head, and to bring goodness to us. There's no greater example of this than when Jesus went to the cross. The powers of darkness conspired with the, dark, with the powers of humanity to kill God. And with it, to kill the hope that humanity had of redemption and restoration. But God used that evil to disarm the powers that conspire against humanity. Through the resurrection, the eternal effects of evil were rendered useless. And the door was opened for humans to experience the fullness of eternal life, both now and forevermore. And friends, this is the message of the book of Numbers, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God is faithful in the face of human failure. Whether that failure comes to us from our families, from our friends, from our communities, from ourselves, or from dark conspiring forces in the background, God is faithful to us. God is the ultimate conspiring force working behind the scenes to overcome the darkness that you and I experience when faced with betrayal. Healing comes to us when we recognize this reality and allow God to do the work of restoration in our own hearts. God has promised peace and healing to us. And so we must simply remember, in the midst of our pain and our suffering, that God has our backs. When it feels like the whole world is cursing us, God is in the background blessing us and working through the mess of this world to shape us more and more into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Faithful God, we thank you for the many ways that you bless us, those things that we see and those things that remain unseen to us. God, we ask that you would continue to, to protect us, continue to heal us, and continue to show us a new way, a new way of dealing with pain, a new way of dealing with human betrayal, a new way of being human way that is steeped in your goodness, your love, and your affinity for forgiveness. And God, that we would look at this world and see that you're not finished with us yet. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, our Creator, our Redeemer, 
and our sustainer.